there's something very powerful and special when a bunch of men get together. Do you know that true masculinity is a powerful, wonderful gift to humanity? You don't sound convinced. Hey? Hey? True masculinity, powerful, wonderful gift to humanity. And you know, masculinity's come under a lot of fire lately. Would you agree? Yes. We have hashtag men are trash. Are men trash? No. no. Hey? We have toxic masculinity. Is masculinity the way God designed it? Trash. Is it toxic? Do you know that men in, in your veins, is in your DNA, is a rich heritage of heroism? Can you say amen to that? You look back on our history as men, you see heroes. Do you know when the Titanic sank? You know the story of the Titanic. Do you know that 75% of men perished? Only 19% of women perished. Why do you think that is? Men were routinely giving up their places for women. You see, men are heroes. Men are designed to be heroes. God created in our, in our veins, in our DNA, in our strength, in our testosterone, in our, in our muscularity, in our brains, the, 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 the capacity to be heroes. And that's who we are. You are a gift to humanity, a powerful gift. We can also choose to be a curse, unfortunately, but you're a gift to humanity. Let me tell you a quick story about uh, my daughter. I'm a father of uh, a son of 28 years old and a daughter of 25-year-old. I know I look a lot younger than that, I hope. <laughs> but uh, my son's got this big beard. Huh? And uh, when we walk together, he says to me, Dad, he says, how do real men shave? So I said, how do they, son? He says, they don't. They don't shave. So you guys with beards, you're doing great. Here. You know, the problem is as you get older, you lose more of the hair on your head and it sort of goes down. You get hair on your back and your nose and your ears. I mean, I know some of you guys will, will identify with that. I have a daughter who's 25. When she was two and a half years old, doctors came to us and said that she would need an operation on her heart. She had a small hole in one of the walls of her heart. And uh, luckily with technology nowadays, instead of open heart surgery, it's a, it's a catheter that goes into the vein, pops up into the heart, and it's a, it, it blocks the hole. Fantastic operation. But when we came to the theater, I said to, my, I said to the doctors, you know, do you mind if I just carry my daughter into theater with us? Because it's a very scary place. You know, theaters are the nurses and the doctors and the lights. And, and they kindly said, yes, you can do that. So they allowed me to carry Blythe into theater they allowed me to actually put the mask over her face, which, which put her to sleep. She fell asleep in my arms, and I gave her over to the doctors, uh, left her in the, in the theater, left the theater, went, went and waited in the, in the room when she came out to recover. When she recovered, I was the first person she saw. Operation was a great success. One and a half hour operation. The next day, she was out. One month later, guys, we were at my house, and we were having a braai. And I had a bunch of mates standing around in a circle. We were standing outside. The food was cooking. Blythe was standing next to me, holding onto my legs. <coughs> And one of my friends looked down at her and said, Blythe, I believe you were in hospital recently. And she looked up at him and she said, yes. She said, my heart was broken. She said, but my daddy fixed it. I tell you, men, I, you know, I had to, uh, <laughs> you know, the image we have of men, the, the tears came. I had to excuse myself and sort of, you know, brush up my manhood and then come back to the group, you know. But she gave me the most incredible gift that day. She gave me the gift of seeing myself through her eyes. The gift of seeing myself through her eyes. And she saw me as her hero. She saw me as this man who could fix anything, do anything. And I realized then, men, I realized that God has given us a role as men, as heroes. 
I realized that, that I held my daughter's heart in my hands. She thought I fixed her heart, but I realized that I held her heart in my hands and that how I pitched up as a man and as a father would have a huge impact on her life. And I realized I held my son's heart in my hands too and how I pitched up as a man would have a massive impact on their lives. There's a scripture, Matthew 12, 29, will come up. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can plunder his house? What is Jesus saying to us there? He's saying that you and I are the strong man. We're the strong man. We're the strong man that stands in the gap between the enemy and our families. We stand in the gap between the enemy and our nation. We stand in the gap between the enemy and our church and our communities and our nation. We are that man. You know, there's a story of a, of a man walking in a, in, a, in a park with his two daughters. And he's walking in this park, and, and adjacent to this park was a game farm. And what he didn't know was that there was a hole in the fence, and a lion had escaped from the game farm into the park where he was walking. And he's walking, and he's on his cell phone. He's very distracted. Ahead of him are his two daughters, 12 and, and 10 years old. And they come across this lion. And he hears them screaming, Daddy, 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 there's a lion. And here's this man on his cell phone. Now, you get a couple of different kinds of men. You get the kind of man that when he hears this, he's the coward. He drops his phone and he runs away. Now, not many men would do that with a lion, but often men, we do that, don't we? We have a family. We have responsibilities, but we're not there. We've gone in the opposite direction, and the daughter's crying for us. Our son's crying for us. Our wife's crying for us. Community's crying for us, and we're nowhere to be seen. You get the second kind of man who's the paralyzed man. He hears the cry, Daddy, Daddy, there's a lion. And he gets stuck on his phone and he doesn't know what to do. Where do I go? Which direction do I take? He's the paralyzed man. He's the passive man. But then you get the man of God. The man of God who drops whatever he's got. He drops the phone. That means nothing to him. And he runs and he doesn't stop where he gets to his daughters. He runs past his daughters and he stands and he faces the lion. <clears throat> and he stands between the lion and his daughters. And that's the kind of man God has called us to be. You see, God has called us to be the strong man that any enemy, any evil, any, any bad will that needs to come to our families, our communities, our society, our churches, our loved ones, has to come through us because it cannot get to them if we're standing in the way. You see, the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You know, the lion that faces us is a greater lion. We talked about the lion. We sang about the lion. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's Jesus Christ. When he dwells within us, there's a lion within us that roars so loudly that any lion that's trying to attack our family must run and flee in terror. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. And men, we call to be that man. We call to be that strong man. We call to be the man that stands in the gap and that says, not on my watch. Not on my watch. That's the kind of man that God's called us to be. Let's look at the drivers of the masculine heart. You know, masculinity has really come under fire. You know, people are trying to feminize men. Huh? A lot of churches struggle, and I love this church. This church has got almost 50% of the members are, are men. So let's give ourselves a hand, guys. Huh? I mean, that's fantastic. That's awesome. The church needs men, godly men standing in the gap. But often churches create a scenario where to be a member of that church, you need to be a nice guy, a nice man. You know, a dutiful man. You see, if you look at the drivers of the heart of men, what God has placed in us as man, it's not necessary to be a nice guy. It's to be a good guy. 
There's a difference between good and nice. Do you agree? Nice can be very bland. Nice is very sort of vanilla. But good is something more powerful. And if you look, there's a beautiful book written by a guy called John Eldridge, and he talks about the three desires of the masculine heart. I'm sure many of you read the book. And he talks about the desire on the, on the heart of every man are three desires. One is the desire for a battle to fight. The second is the desire for an adventure to live. And the third is the desire for a beauty to rescue. Battle, adventure, beauty. Men, I'm sure we all identify with those things. You know, when you walked around, I tell you something, if you guys walked through that display there and you came out with a, with a full wallet, you've got a, you've got, you're very good at resisting temptation. Eh? And there's some brilliant stuff on display there. But battle, adventure, and beauty is wired into the heart of us men. Battle, adventure, beauty. You look at any one of our cultures, eh? any one of our cultures. You know, you go back, there's the battle. There's the arm wrestling. There's the rugby, which I hope we're going to win. Are we going to win this afternoon? Eh? We've got to win that. Eh? We've got to win that. Eh? You look at Kosa and Zulu culture, stick fighting. There's arm wrestling. Eh? There's battle in the heart of men. And the battle doesn't have to be physical men. The battle has to be a noble cause that we fight against. Wired into us is the desire to fight a battle. You know, you might be a chess player, and you might say to a guy, hey, I mean, you know, you play chess, do you mind losing? Of course I mind losing, man. I want, I want to take that guy's king. I want to take that, I want to win, you know? Young guys, man, there's a competitive spirit in us. We want to fight a battle. We want to win that battle. There's a desire for adventure, isn't there, you know? I mean, you look at the average, you give a bicycle to a young girl of 12 and a young boy of 12, huh? And look at those bicycles in three weeks' time. Are they going to look the same? There's no way they're going to look the same. You know, for the guy, it's not enough just to go from A to B, is it? You know, it gets boring. He's got to, you know, no hands, and then he's got to ramp. You know, my, my son, when he was 12 years old, he was hanging out after school with a bunch of his mates, and uh, they were bored. They were on their BMX bicycles, and uh, they, they, they were bored. And the one guy said to the other kids, I wonder what would happen if we rode our bicycles into that brick wall over there. And the guy said, great idea, let's do it, you know. So they lined up and they counted down, and the, and the winner is the one that hit the wall first. Can you imagine this? You know? Can you imagine this, uh, this uh, approach avoidance in your head? You know, I want to win this race, but I also don't want to hurt myself, you know. So you, but they lined up, they counted three, two, one, and they all rode into this brick wall, you know. I mean, when you tell this story to a group of women, they don't know what you're talking about. They think these guys are mad, you know. And the reaction of the moms and dads was so funny, you know, because the moms were, were freaked out. They were phoning the, the psychologist. Johnny, Johnny needs help. He needs more Ritalin. You know, we need more Ritalin for my boy, you know. And the dads were going, oh, that's, that's my boy, you know. That's my, you know? <laughs> There's a sense of where boys uh, have a sense of adventure, you know. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, bungee jumping. How many of you have done a bungee jump? Quite a few of you guys, eh? It's a bit of a mad thing to do. I mean, but now it's safe, eh? You've got a beautiful cord, it's elastic, you've got this, these. But can you imagine the first person who did a bungee jump? Can you imagine these guys hanging out in Papua New Guinea, you know, in the jungle, you know, hundreds of years ago, and they're, and they're chilling, and the one guy looks up at this tree, and he sees these vines hanging, and he says to his man, I wonder what would happen if we climbed to the top of the tree, and we tied this thing around our ankle, and we jumped off the tree. Uh, you know, do you think we could stop before we smashed our skulls on the, you know? I mean... I guarantee it wasn't a couple of girls who did that, eh? It wasn't a couple of girls. It was a couple of dudes who were bored and their testosterone was pumping, you know, and they wanted to do this thing, you know? Battle, adventure, beauty. It's wired into the heart of man, you know? And it's a beautiful, beautiful gift, the desire for battle. You know, we're born into war. Men, you know that. Whether we like it or not, we're born into war. 
The Bible says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to devour you and I. And he wants to devour our families and our communities. There's a war. Whether we like it or not, we are in war. We don't have a choice to be passive, you know, to, to be the guy who just sits and drinks his lattes and doesn't get involved. We don't have a choice. We're born into war. We're born into war and we have to fight the war. Battle, adventure, and beauty is wired into us. One of the things we need to fight for is our beauty. Fight for our wives. You know, none of us grew up perfectly parented. Eh? Every one of us arrived at adulthood with some wounds in our soul. Would you agree? John Aldridge, in his book, he says, every man in his journey from boy to, to man takes an arrow in the center of his heart, in the place of his greatest strength. And he says that wound is nearly always given by his father. And he said that wound is very rarely discussed and almost never healed. And therefore, every man carries a wound. We carry a wound. And so do our wives. And so do our loved ones. And we need to fight for them. And we need to fight for our own wholeness and our own godliness. We're living in a world of war. Because of this desire for a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, and an adventure to live, there's a question on the heart of every man. Every one of us in this audience has this question, and it started off as a young boy. The question is, and we bring it to our father. In fact, there are two questions, and the two main things we bring to our father to, 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 to answer. The one is, do I have what it takes as a man? Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? Am I fast enough, strong enough, cool enough? You know, we saw some guys here performing on the stage, you know, uh, but there's a, there's a thing in man, am I enough? Do I have what it takes? And we bring the question to our father. You see, masculinity is imparted by a man to a boy. Would you agree? A mother cannot teach a boy how to be a man. She can teach him a whole lot of beautiful things and model a whole lot of beautiful qualities, but she cannot model masculinity to a boy because she isn't a man. Just like you and I as men cannot model what it means to be a woman to our daughters. And that's why God created the family, man. The, the father and the mother are both absolutely crucial to give to the son and the daughter different things. So masculinity is imparted by a man to a boy. And the questions that a boy brings to his father is, number one, dad, do I have what it takes? Am I man enough? And we need to get that answer from a father or an older man. You know, we used to do, we do a lot of camps and uh, on these camps we do the ceremony where we call each other out as men and we validate each other as men. And I'll never forget the first time I had to validate a man, a 60-year-old man called Patrick. And I was much younger than him. And I put my, my hands on his shoulder and I said, Patrick, I see a man. And I honor you as a man amongst men. And I acknowledge you as a man. And you know, this guy, 60 years old, tears started pouring down his cheeks. And he realized, he said, Craig, you know, I didn't realize that I never had this from my father. I never had this from an older man. I was never validated by a man as a man. And he wept and he wept and he wept as this wound in his heart was healed. And many of us have grown up as men and never been validated by our fathers. That's the number one question. And the question that remains on our heart is, am I enough? I guarantee you, when you saw guys doing press-up here, you'll think, well, yeah, I can't do that many press-ups, you know. Well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't eat that, you know. There's always this question. We often ask this in the boardroom, in the bedroom, in the, in the, in, in, wherever we go, there's this question on the heart of, am I enough? And God is here today to say to you, man, you are enough. You are enough. You don't have to play the man to be the man. You are the man. 
whatever height you are, whatever strength you are, whatever your passions and desires are, God placed those within you, and that is enough. You are man enough to be the strong man that stands between the lion and your loved ones. You're enough. The second question we ask our fathers, and we bring to our dads is, show me how to be a man. Show me how to be a man. You see, in a man's heart, there's, in a man, as he grows up, uh, the muscle starts developing, the testosterone starts flowing, and you know, it can, it can get you to do crazy things, eh? and we need to learn how to do that. You know, you saw, saw the powerful cars out there, and masculinity is very much like a car. It's a beautiful, powerful gift, man. Under that bonnet is a, is a V8 engine, and, and you know, there's, there's gearing. That thing can take us from A to B. We all use cars. Cars are beautiful, but a car can also be a dangerous thing. Would you agree? Many, many thousands of people are killed every year in car accidents. And masculinity is very similar. It's a powerful, beautiful gift to humanity, but it can also be dangerous. And the only reason, that, the only way you learn how to drive a car is if someone has already learned how to drive a car, teaches you how to drive a car. You can't go and look at a YouTube clip and learn how to drive a car. It's not going to work. You need to get in a car with an instructor. And that's what men do. Men instruct young boys how to be men. And boys who grow up without men teaching them what it means to be men, what do they do? What do they do? They turn to gangsters. They turn to rap stars. They turn to the whole different range of people to teach them how to be a man. And they get a false concept of what it means to be a man. I want to take you through six virtues of what it means to be a true man. Six virtues. The very first virtue. And these are six things. I call them a six-pack. It's not the six-pack. Most of us, uh, the six-pack has evolved <laughs> into a, uh, a case, sometimes, sometimes a keg, you know, <laughs> sometimes a barrel, but it's somewhere inside there, it's there, you know. I'm not talking about the six-pack that you drink, I'm talking about the six virtues that make you a true man, a real man, a champion man. Number one is what do you do with your strength? You see, every man has strength. We have a number of different kinds of strength. You have physical strength. The average man is at least 50% stronger upper body than the average woman. We have physical strength. We have emotional strength. Every relationship you're in, you have strength over that person. You have the ability to lift that person up or to hurt that person. You see, strength can really well be defined as your ability to impact the lives of other people. Your ability to impact the lives of other people, and we all have that. Your words are powerful, men. Your words are power. You can tear down with your words. You can build up with your words. Eh? So what do you do with your power? You see, this is the number one quality of an authentic, godly man, is you use your strength for good. There are three ways you can use your strength. And remember, we're talking about physical strength, emotional strength, verbal strength, economic strength. The strength of your presence in the lives of your loved ones is powerful. There are three ways you can use your strength. Number one, you can fail to use it. And many men do. The reason we're in this situation today is because a man, Adam, was passive. He failed to use his strength. Think about this. He had one instruction. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the um, knowledge of good and evil. And his wife came to him and she said, here's the apple. Let's, let's, let's chow it. And he did nothing. He was passive. You see, he had the power at that point to say, let's not eat that apple. Let's obey God. Let's put that apple down and not do it. But he did nothing. He failed to use his strength. You see, when men fail to use their strength, evil prevails. Eh? It's like Eskim. 
Eskom can be sitting there with a whole power station and they, they switch it off. They've got the power, but it's got no good to us at all. We're sitting there in the darkness. There's the power, and often that happens with men. We've got the power. We've got the resources. We've got the words. We've got everything we need, but it's off. It's not being applied where it needs to be applied. You see, the passive man is the man who's sitting in a tavern when he needs to be at home. He's on the golf course for eight hours a day when his daughter and his son are crying out for his counsel and his help. He stays at work all hours when his wife is desperately needing him. This is the passive man. This is the passive man, the man who sees racism, he sees prejudice, he sees abuse happening, and he does nothing. He does nothing. All it takes for evil to prevail is good men to do nothing. See, that's the first thing we can do. And men, when we are passive... When we are passive, it doesn't mean we're doing nothing. It means we're doing the wrong thing. You see, passive men often get involved in all kinds of addictions. Pornography is a major, major issue for for many, many men. What does that mean? It means that you are sitting in front of a computer looking at other women when you need to be romancing and loving your wife. It's a passive man. He's not using his strength for what he needs to be using it. Passive men get involved in all kinds of addictions. They're doing all the kind of things that they shouldn't be doing instead of the things they should be doing. The second way you can use your strength is you can misuse your strength, and many men do that. We misuse our strength by taking what's not ours. We see that throughout our nation. We see that in government. Men elected into power, what do they do? They misuse their power. They take instead of give. We see that in families. Men where Jesus said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life up for the church. He served the church. He put the church above his own life. I mean, that's servanthood. And you have men that are dominating women, saying, woman, submit to me. Woman, you know, always having the last word, can never say I'm sorry. And in the extreme case, it leads to gender-based violence and abuse and all kinds of things, psychological, verbal. See, these are men misusing their strength. The only way to use your strength is to use it to love, serve, honor, protect, provide, Don't you just love the example of Jesus Christ? Jesus was the most powerful being on earth. God in the flesh. I mean, you don't get more powerful than that. What did Jesus do with that power? He got on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. It's a mind-blowing concept. The most powerful being in the universe, washing the feet of fragile human beings. Unbelievable. He gave up his life on the cross. You see, this is power being used for good. There's a gang in, in, uh, um, in L.A. It's, it's a biker gang. You know, we saw some lovely Harleys out there. I love the badges here you got there. There's a biker gang, you know, these big guys with their tattoos. And, their, you know, and what these guys do in L.A. is they find women who've been abused or in abusive relationship, and, and they are going to court. And what they do is they take this woman and they escort her to court. And they sit in the court with their arms folded, and they look at the perpetrator. And, and this dude knows, man, I, I'm not going I'm, I'm to win this battle, man. Because eh? he's got all these, these powerful guys glaring him down. You see, that is strength being used for good, isn't it? It's powerful. It's wonderful, man. When men use their strength for good, the world comes alive. The world is safe. It's a beautiful place. Number one virtue of a godly man, he uses his strength for good. Number two. He tends his fields. 
You see, God has given each one of us a field. I'm using an agricultural example here. Now, take a farmer. He might have a field, a couple of cows, sheep, some sorghum, some wheat. And that field depends, those cows depend on, on the behavior of the farmer. Does he water them? Does he look after them? Does he feed them? Does he take them to the vet? His responsibility is for his field. And God has given every one of us men a field. A field, an area of responsibility. And there are four key things in that field. Number one is yourself. You see, you as a man are very important. A sick farmer cannot tend his cows, just as a sick man cannot tend his family and his fields. And by that I mean spiritually, physically, emotionally. How are we caring for ourselves as men? What are we putting into our minds and our hearts and our souls? And how are we looking after our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our souls? Because we are needed. So number one thing in your field is yourself. Number two is your loved ones. How are you caring for your loved ones? How do they feel in your presence? Someone said that every man is the architect of his own home. We create the atmosphere in which our family operates. What kind of atmosphere are you creating? You see, everything in our field needs to be nurtured, cared for, safe, well looked after. That's the responsibility of a man. You have yourself, you have your loved ones, you have your material possessions and goods, your money, your finances. How are you managing those? And finally, number four, you have your roles and responsibilities. You're a citizen. You're a husband, perhaps. You're a, a boyfriend, a son. You have a number of roles and responsibilities. How do you step up and take full responsibility? That's what true men do. There's a scripture that in Corinthians that says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. God is saying, I have given you as a man a sacred trust. A sacred trust. The trust of being a man. The trust of being the gatekeeper. The trust of being the bulwark between whatever the world brings and, what, and, and your loved ones. And how are you fulfilling that trust? He's given you material possessions. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you yourself, your body, your life, your health. How are you taking care of that? They say you can often judge the character of a man by looking at the, the nature of his wife. How is she? Is she blossoming? Is she flourishing? Is she, is she the best woman that, that she can possibly be? Why? Because the man is watering her, loving her, serving her providing nurture for her. You see, that is number two quality, of the, sixth, the second of the six pack of champion virtues, nurture your fields. The third one is to define yourself by character. You see, we live in a world where there are so many false concepts about masculinity, aren't there? We live in a world where, I talk about the five lies, the five big lies of masculinity. Sex, power, money, Big boys don't cry, and, and toxic masculinity. You recognize those five lies. <laughs> we hear them all the time, eh? To be a man, you need to, to be a real player with a woman. You know, to be a man, you need to have power. And oftentimes, we focus too much on power as men, physical power, economic power. And yet, you know, someone once said that the poorest man can leave behind the richest legacy. Isn't that beautiful? Because it's not what you leave for somebody that counts. It's what you leave in somebody that counts. You see? The poorest man can leave behind the richest legacy. We have a wrong concept of what it means to be a man. Some of the greatest men on earth had no money whatsoever. Some of the greatest callings, you know, I often think of teachers. Teachers don't get a massive salary, but what a noble, beautiful profession. See, a person is doing that, he's going into it for the difference that they can make, not for the money that they can earn. 
So often we judge ourselves by the outward appearance. I'll never forget once I was jogging in Cape Town, you know, jogging along the promenade, and I, and I developed this problem with my knees. So I end up, I'm limping along the promenade, and I see these two very attractive young women jogging towards me. What do you think I did? <laughs> Immediately I start running. Why? Because it's the image, you know, I want to be put, you know, I want to come across as the man. You know, our kids used to go to St. Stithian's uh, school. It's a beautiful private school here in Joburg. And uh, the one day my car was in for service and I'm, I'm driving and, and, and I'm dry. I borrowed this beaten up old Mazda 323. Uh, it's a green Mazda 323, beaten up. And I'm driving into campus and I see these Mercs and Range Rovers, etc., etc., coming past. And what do I do? I, I turn and I wait <laughs> for them to go past. And then I pop my head out again, you know. And, and I had such a revelation. I thought, Craig, what, what is wrong with you? you know? I'm judging myself by the car that I drive. What a false sense of manhood. What does that mean? If I lose my car, I lose my manhood? If I lose my BMW, does that mean I'm less of a man? Not at all. Not in the slightest bit. See, money doesn't make a man. Power doesn't make a man. Okay? A woman does not make a man. Hmm? You cannot take your question of manhood to a woman. You can't do that. She can't heal you. She can't make you a man. You see, someone once said, we don't go to woman to get strength from woman. We go to woman to offer them the strength that we have for them. And that's what we do as men. So we judge ourselves as men by our character. How much values, do, do I have values? Am I a man of my word? If I say I'm gonna be there, am I gonna be there? 1 Samuel uh, 16, 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So important, men, we don't judge ourselves by the size of our biceps, by the size of our bank balance, by the size of our car, but by the size of our heart and our character and our word and our integrity. That's how we value ourselves as men. That's the third quality Third of the six-pack of true, authentic masculinity. Number four is we build a band of brothers. See, no, no man can do this journey alone. God has made us to walk in intimate fellowship with other men. I had a friend four years ago who took his own life. Tragic, very close friend, took his own life. We'd been in youth group together. He was in his 50s, he took his own life, and it was a complete shock to all of us. And at his funeral, it was the most astounding thing, we asked each other, all his friends, hey, did you know that Pete was going through such a hard time? No, I didn't know. Did you know? No, I didn't. None, none of us knew. None of us knew. And you see, we often create a culture as men where we have to be the man. Huh? You ask me how I'm doing, I'm dying inside. But I say, hey, brother, I'm fine. I'm strong. How are you? We're unable to be vulnerable with each other. And you know, when you look at a funeral and you see six men carrying the casket with your dead friend inside, six men walking with a casket. And you ask yourself, where were those six men before Pete got into the casket? Where were they? Why did they not know? Why did I not know? Why was Pete not able to share with us? Why were we not able to share with each other the vulnerability, the pain that he was going through? Why? Because of the lie of masculinity that says big boys don't cry. You see, vulnerability, men, is strength. Much harder for me to say to you, I'm struggling, than it is for me to say, I'm strong, isn't it? 
And we need to develop a culture amongst ourselves as men to have a band of brothers where we share our weaknesses, we share our vulnerabilities. You see, as men, we need to do four things to form a band of brothers. Number one, honor each other. You know, men, we're very good at ripping each other off, aren't we? We always, I mean, and, and look, that's quite cool. I mean, I mean, how many guys have got nicknames, you know? And the nicknames are not always about the most flattering. I remember at school we had a guy, we, his name was Ears, and the reason was he had these huge ears, you know? I mean, you all have these names, you know, that you give a guy, you know? And that's fine, there's a place for that. But how often do we honor each other? How often do we say, hey, brother, you know what? I've just been looking at your life, and I really admire you, man. I respect you, man. I deeply appreciate the way that you are as a friend, as a brother, as a... How often do we do that? We need to start doing that, you know? I guarantee when you start doing that to each other, you'll find tears start streaming down our cheeks because we don't do that. We rip each other off. We don't honor each other. We need to honor each other. So number one, we need to honor each other. Number two, we need to be vulnerable to each other. Share our hearts, share our depth, share our pain. Because when you carry each other, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes. It says, for if... They fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. We need each other, brothers. No one ever won a soccer match on their own. No one ever won a war on their own. We will not win this war on our own as brothers. The research has shown that men are lonely. Men are lonely. We have men we can share a beer with or a Coke with and watch a game of rugby or soccer with, but do we have men that truly know us, that truly get us, that truly stand with us, that hold us accountable to a high standard of behavior? The fifth of the six-pack is we need to mentor the next generation. Mentor the next generation. You know, there's a story of, a, of a, a man in England who used to come home from work every night, put his bag down, and walk to the, 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 the pub on the corner of the road and have his beer. He's the kind of guy that arrives in the bomb and doesn't even have to ask him what he wants. He knows this guy wants that particular beer, and he's got his seat. You know, anyone else sits in that seat, they're in trouble. And he's sitting there drinking this beer the one night, and he feels a tugging at his elbow. And he looks down, and there's his five-year-old son. And he says, son, son, how did you find me? And he said, oh, dad, it was very easy. He said, I just, I just followed your footprints in the snow from the house to the pub. And this man had a wake-up call. He suddenly realized, you know what, I'm leaving footprints. I'm leaving footprints. Someone is watching my life. Where are those footprints going? Where are they leading? At the moment, they were leading to the pub, and he realized, I need to stop that. I need to make sure my footprints lead to a better place. There's a story from the Pellansburg Game Reserve. In the early 1990s, the, the Kruger National Park had an elephant population that was getting too big. And so they had to reduce it because it becomes dangerous to the rest of the, the fauna and flora. They used to, in the old days, kill the elephants, cull them. But instead of doing that, they decided to relocate a whole bunch of elephants from the um, Kruger Park to the Pilansburg Park. And they, they re relocated a whole bunch of smaller elephants, younger elephants. And things were perfect for a while. But when the younger elephants started getting older, the bull elephants, the, the male elephants, they started behaving terribly. They started charging tourists. They started trying to mate with rhinos. Can you believe it? Rhinos were actually killed. It's a true story. And conservationists couldn't understand what was going on. They tried everything. Eventually what they did was they went back to the Kruger Park they got two fully grown bull elephants and they moved these elephants to Pillansburg Park. Do you know that within two weeks, the behavior was completely sorted out? You see, in the absence of bull elephants in society, the young elephants don't know how to behave. In the absence of you and I, huh? men, in the absence of you and I as men 
who show young boys how to behave. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to handle that testosterone, those desires and that, that's, that the hormones that are raging in their bodies. We as older men need to step up and lead by example and mentor that next generation and show them through discipline, through example, through teaching how to be a good man. You see, every boy wants to be a good man, but not every boy knows how to. And what do they do? They look to older men to teach them how to be a good man. Very interesting research was done at Harvard. Someone was asked, they asked the question, uh, what is a good man of all these, you know? And it was easy. People said, good men are men that are kind, that are loving, that are caring, that are loyal, that are faithful. Then they said to them, what is a real man? And the answer was different. When they were asked what a real man, they said, they're tough, they're strong, they never cry, you know? And this is the tragedy that's befallen the world. You see, a good man and a real man, it's the same thing, man. There's no difference. A good man is a, is a real man, and a real man is a good man. And a real man has two sides to him. He has the warrior that can fight, that can be strong, that doesn't cry at times because you need to, you need to just man up and do it. Huh? That's, he takes responsibility. He goes for it. But he, the other side of a real man is the side that cries, the side that's vulnerable, the side that's able to be vulnerable. That's a carer, that's a lover. You've got the warrior and the lover, and we cannot have one without the other. If we try and create a world of just warriors and no lovers, we're going to get bullies and abusers. If we create a world of, of just lovers, we're going to get a world that's, that's dangerous. Why? Because there's no one standing up against the danger. You see, you and I as men are designed to be dangerous. Men, you're designed to be dangerous. Never to a woman, never to a child, never to each other's brothers. Dangerous to whatever threatens women, children, and the world. We must be dangerous. To be dangerous, we need to be strong. Okay? The last of the six-pack is that true men, champion men, make the world a better place. See, you and I have the power to make this world a better place. We have the power to stand in the gap and say, whatever went behind us stops with me. I might have come from an abusive family. That abuse stops with me. What goes ahead of me is not what came behind me. We live in a country that has a history of racism. We have the power, men, to say, you know what, no more. <laughs> that happened then, it's not going to happen now. We have the power to stand in the gap, and we have the responsibility to stand in the gap and say, I'm going to make this world a better place. I'm going to make this world a better place. There's a beautiful scripture in Ephesians. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every one of us has the power to either make the world a better place or a worse place. You see, in the world, you get givers and you get takers. You get the guy who comes to your house, he drinks your beer, he watches your TV, he eats your food, he messes up your house, he leaves, and he does nothing. You get the guy who borrows your car and it comes back dirty and there's no petrol in the tank. Eh? Those are the takers. Eh? But you get the guy who borrows your car and it comes back and it's clean and the petrol tank is full. That's a giver. You get the guy who litters. You know, I don't know if you, uh, you stop at a robot and you see Kentucky Fried Chicken wrappers flying out. You know, that guy's making the world a worse place. You get a guy who's walking along the road. He sees some litter. He picks it up, even though he didn't make the litter, and he puts it away. We have the power, men, and the mandate and the responsibility that God's given us to make the world a better place. Is your wife a better woman because you're in her life? Is she fulfilling her purpose because you're in her life? Is she happier flourishing, alive. Why? Because you're in her life. Because you're nurturing her, praying for her. You're watering her garden. Are your children better because you're in their life? 
Are they flourishing and thriving? Because they have a dad that nurtures them, that loves them, that cares for them, that sees them, that grows them. Is your community better? Is your church, is this church better because you remember? You get members of churches who complain and who see faults. Eh? There's no such thing as a perfect church, but you get members of a church who say, you know what, I see a fault there, but I'm going to pray for that fault, man. I see a need there, and I'm going to meet that need. Eh? You see, as men, we have the power, the mandate, the calling, the responsibility to make our world a better place. And we have the power to do that. We have the power to do that. Isn't it awesome being a man? We, we, we have the power to change the world, man. God's given us the mandate, the power, the ability, the authority, the gifting. And I just want to reiterate, man, you are enough. You've got what it takes to be a tremendous gift to this world. Not only do you have what it takes, you have the responsibility, the duty. God has given you a sacred trust. Let me end on one story. When, uh, when my daughter was seven years old, we moved from, Nys- from, sorry, from Johannesburg to Nysda. We're back in Joburg now. And uh, it was beautiful. I got the, the, the offer to, to run a company called uh, uh, Outward Bound. And, uh, but my family moved ahead two weeks ahead of me. And two weeks ahead, they were there. I was back in Joburg finishing up some business. I was on the, on the, on the line to my daughter, Blythe, seven years old. And I said to her, Blythe, isn't life beautiful by the sea? Expecting her to be excited. And she said to me, she said, if this was my life, I would scream. And I got such a fright. I said, Blythe, why, 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 my precious? Why would you scream? And her words just blew me away. She said, because you're not here, Daddy. Again, the tears flowed in my eyes, and I realized that the most important words in a father's dictionary and a leader's dictionary and a man's dictionary are the words, be there. Be there, man. Be there, be present. Be engaged. Be present in the lives of your loved ones. Be present in your community. Be present to your wife. Be present to yourself. Be present to your relationship with God. I want to say this, that the foundation of all of these six virtues, the absolute foundation, is intimacy with God our Father, with our Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. Without that, we can never be the man that God made us to be. Intimacy with God. Our greatest battle on earth, our greatest battle, and there are many, our greatest and most important fight that we have to fight is maintaining intimacy with God. And that's the thing the devil's going to attack the most. Your time of prayer, your time of worship, your time of reading the word. Those are the things that are the hardest to do because there's so many distractions. Why? Because the enemy hates it when you do that. Intimacy with God is the foundation of life. We were made and created by God for intimacy with him. He walked in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve in fellowship. And the devil will do anything he can to break that fellowship whether you're a pastor, whether you're a lay preacher, whether you're a mechanic, a a businessman, whatever you are, your greatest battle, your most important mission, intimacy with God. I want to encourage you men, make a commitment today to fight for intimacy with God. The only way you can have intimacy with God is through salvation by Jesus Christ, the washing and cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. He made a way for us to approach the throne of grace of God with confidence and freedom. So I'd love us all just to please close our eyes. 
And men, those of you who are Christians, please, in the silence of your heart right now, say, Jesus, I want to renew my intimacy with you. Please help me to fight for that. Please help me to prioritize that. Please help me to walk intimately with you, never ever neglecting my time with you. For those of you who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for washing and cleansing my sins with your blood. I ask you to cleanse me now, to forgive me now, to help me to enter into a relationship with God the Father. Thank you that I am now the Son of God. Amen. Men, the encouragement that I give you is to say that you have a sacred duty, a sacred responsibility, a sacred trust. You have power. You have anointing. You have the Lion of Judah, the most powerful force in the universe dwelling within you. You have a mandate. You have a calling, a plan. Please, I ask you, go out there and change the world. Go out there and be the man that God made you to be. We've got a curriculum that's going to be shared with you by Pastor Greg. It'll take eight weeks. And I encourage you to form a band of brothers. Get a band of brothers. Get a group of men that you can honor, be vulnerable with, share with. And with that band of brothers, stand together and get out there and make this world a better place. Amen.